and welcome to, I've lost count of the number of episodes we've done, season two, episode six. So Lady Wood is a podcast where in two huge fans of the show Deadwood and one newbie discuss the show through a kind of feministy lens. Uh, I'm Lynn Sternberger. I'm a television writer in Los Angeles. I'm Brandi Sperry, also a writer and the co-host of the Downton Gabby podcast. My name is Cedar Sean, also a comedy writer and stand-up comic. And uh, Brandy and I have seen the show, Sita has not, and uh, we just like getting together and chit-chatting about it. Mm -hmm. Way, way later. (laughs) Way to 15 years. 14 years. 14 years. We're only going to do podcasts about shows that uh, uh, aired 10 years ago. After this, this, we're doing the Dick Van Dyke show. Oh my god, can't wait, can't wait. Got real thoughts about that one. Today we are discussing the sixth episode of the second season. It was called Something Very Expensive, which we find out what that is later. Written and and directed by Steve Schill. This is the first time we've seen a writer direct his own episode, which is cool. Uh, he had previously just directed two episodes of the series, and this is the first time that he's credited with a Deadwood script. So I was, like, paying attention to see if it seemed different, and it didn't. It feels like a continuation of last week. Basically. It definitely and feels like a continuation of last I week. I did not know this. He is a director on Dexter, which, after watching this episode, completely makes sense. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you mean with the blood? <laughs> with so much blood. The blood. Oh my so God. this episode aired April 10th, 2005. Yes, 14 years ago. <laughs> um, in it, Alma proposes the formation of the Deadwood Bank and looks to familiar faces to run it, a.k.a. Ellsworth and Saul. To test himself, Swearingen grants an audience to a long line of supplicants after getting propped up. Uh, in his chair. He talks with Farnham and Ms. Ms. Isringhausen, and those conversations prove most illuminating. Tolliver confronts Walcott regarding personal details he has uncovered, a.k.a. you are kinky motherfucker, <laughs> which sends the latter into a murderous rage. Demon Barbara. It's a lot, guys. Right? It's a lot that's happening in this thing. Do we feel equipped to begin with Mr. W's murderous rage? Let's just get it out of the way. Yeah, I, I think so. It's all It's on our minds. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> just just what I was going to say. I mean, we let's pour one out for the three female characters Oof. that we lose in this episode. Just dead. Viciously so. Um, they all get their throats cut. Yeah. Barely knew ya. Kind of liked you, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Doris didn't really care for you. Didn't really know ya. And Maddie hated you. Still didn't you want you to die. You brought this on yourself, yeah. Maddie, but not, not to say that you deserve to die, but this was all your fault. <laughs> um, you were the worst feminist of all of the women. I guess she's getting her comeuppance, but really, did it have to come to this? Did it really? It didn't. And I guess I can take part of the blame because it is him goading Wolcott and threatening blackmail of a sorts that sets him off. Mm-hmm. And he knows he's dealing with a dude who hurts women. He knows he's dealing with a dude who has weird opinions about things and opinions about himself and yeah. seems quite capable of violence. I don't know what he was really expecting to get out of him. Like, what? what is Sai's plan with goading him this way? Does he think he's going to cut out the middleman and get directly to Hearst somehow? I think it was an instance of Sai feeling used by uh, Walcott and Hearst. And wanting to feel like he had the upper hand and being really stupid in doing that. And I think he later says, like, I might have said something I shouldn't mm-hmm. have said. Yeah. Side note, I do feel like Powers Booth's performance, which we've insulted several times on the show, is quite good in these last few episodes, actually. Like, I feel like he's a little more subtle. Um, we have 
a little bit of a, a hold on what he's trying to do, even though I'm asking in this scene exactly what his sort of psychological plan was. I think overall he's focused on something specific with this Hearst business that we never had really seen before, and that helps a lot. He does not have Al's clear head about his business dealings, and he never has. It's always been like a little bit messier. It made me feel worse for Joni when shit goes down at the Shami and she needs help and she runs straight into size yeah. business. And I'm like, she's been set up to fail by the yep. same man that she's running to for help. Mm-hmm. It made me really feel badly for her and made me want for her to escape Psy in the same way that Joni has broken or that Trixie has broken free from Al. I almost had a half-hearted sort of moment when she was asking for money uh, from size cashier that she was actually taking the money to run. But, of course, she Joni doesn't. Yes. What Joni does is she, she makes sure that the, all the other prostitutes at the Shami have an escape route and, and get out Why of town. Why doesn't Joni leave? That's, yeah. I she should know. go. She should get the fuck out. She's pulling an Alma right now. She should absolutely go with them, but she doesn't. Because the idea is that if these, uh, they all worked at the Shami, which means that Wolcott knows all of them, and Wolcott is clearly insanely dangerous, can come after any of them, and Joni's probably the most visible person. And Over here, he saw her there. And when he, he saw her there. He reports it to Tolliver. Yeah. He's like, I saw her. She didn't come into the bedroom. But she was here, and Tolliver's like, don't you worry about her. And I'm like, I'm, I'm worried, worried about I'm her. Worried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The scene where the killings happen is very tense. I think it's well done, but it's very disturbing. Um, he seems to bring Carrie in to show her what he's done to Doris, yeah. um, which he's viewing Doris as some sort of stand-in for Cy almost mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. moment. And then he gets mad that Carrie has seen who he really is and what he's really capable of, and now he has to kill her. Like, this man is unhinged. He's got, like, a duality thing going on where he just can't deal with... Like, why did you bring her in in the first place? He tips from psychopath into serial killer in this sequence. And I think he brought Carrie in in part out of, like, his sexual perversity, which is he wants her to be terrified. And she is. I mean, she's got, like, the snot running down her nose and the the wide eyes. Like, we can read her fear. Mm-hmm. And I think he responds to it positively. And I don't think he murders her just out of fear of her knowing him, but to sort of, like, complete his, like, psychosexual need cycle. Ugh. Yeah. That he's turned on by her fear. Yeah. But now that she's seen what he's capable of he no longer has a use for her it's almost like a a one-time use kind of thing for him well i actually think like the murder is the sexual release part for him yeah maybe but if he's getting off on her fear then he can't like let her go right here right like he can't let her feel safe with him if he wants her to be scared all the time who knows and then maddie has Joni's gun that she has used to force Joni to leave was anyone else infuriated by this scene where she walks close enough to him to mm. get her throat yes. cut while she's holding a gun yeah, on the guy? Yeah. Why do people do this on shows? Do not walk forward towards someone when you have them at gunpoint. That's the whole point. You can yeah. be farther away. <laughs> she's also not a sensible character. Like, clearly she is terrified of him, although not so terrified that she's not wanting to, like, make a profit off of him. Mm-hmm. But now, at this point, I mean, maybe this is me being nice to the show the same way that Sita are sometimes nice to the show. I'm like, oh, maybe she's, like, 
so terrorized by what he actually did that what her plan was to get all this money from him now she's like i gotta get the money from him but she's disconnected from the reality and the likelihood of that happening so Mm -hmm. it's like a last ditch like desperate attempt and she's not in her right mind and that's why she does things irresponsible like yeah walking forward yeah Yeah. well i mean she does make the one last good choice which is making joni leave that was the one smart thing she did I think she got rid of Joni because she didn't want Joni interfering with her money and her. Yeah. Like, really? I, don't, I think she didn't want Joni to kill that guy. Yeah. Mm. She thought Joni was going to get her gun and go in and shoot him. Yeah. yeah. I thought she was protecting her investment, weirdly, yeah. in that moment. So, but we can sort of assume that up until this point, Mr. Wolcott has beaten women but has not killed women, right? At or, least not to their knowledge. To me, he seems. Once he's done it and he says those words, what have you done? Something very expensive. To me, that sounds like a man who knows knows how to clean up this mess and what it's going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's caused a bit of a mess somewhere else before. Right. But Maddie doesn't necessarily know. I think she thought he was capable of it, but perhaps not to this level. And so in going back to that conversation with Sai, when Sai's... Uh, doing the whole like fan dance of this is the thing that I've heard about you that you're violent towards mm-hmm. women and Mr. W says Mr. Hurst already knows mm-hmm. how to what extent do we think Mr. Hurst knows oh Sita you got a lot <laughs> there, I don't want to give away Brandy too I, much about Hurst we can't talk to you about some of this stuff because we don't want to color how you view things in the future okay this is rewatch privilege happening I, right now privilege. just know Hurst is a complicated at some point, well. you will meet Hurst, and okay. your questions will be answered. Yeah, that is a very good thing to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. I love that you're actually like I respect uh, your point of view, and like, <laughs> wouldn't her, wouldn't his employer have a problem with this? It's <laughs> like, oh, precious baby. <laughs> well, we get a little indication of what kind of man Hurst is because um, the San Francisco um, guy that comes to town oh, yes. with all of the. I mean, this this episode is terrible, terrifying for women. Uh, with the the I don't know what you're talking about the Chinese prostitutes, all the Chinese prostitutes basically cooped up like chickens in the circus cage. In the circus cage, and the man Al is trying to sort of suss out how much his opposing enemy's coffers are. He drops like two giant bags of gold in front of this guy. Twenty thousand dollars worth of gold. He says twenty thousand dollars. I mean, how much is that even today? Like. a lot. <laughs> so much money. And the guy doesn't even bat an eye. He's just like, nope. Don't want it. Don't want it. Mm. And it was a great moment, too, when Lou's behind the scenes and then Al figures out exactly who it is. I have a question. Why do all of these powerful men want a hand in prostitution businesses? Because, honestly, isn't Hearst raking it in? Yeah. And isn't gold is his goal? Is it actually a way to lure the men who will do the work to get the gold? Is that what it is? Maybe. That sounds like the most reasonable explanation mm-hmm. I've There's heard. no way that turning tricks is, is earning any kind of money. cash. Yeah. yeah. No. It's, I think the saloon, the gambling, all of that, I think That's is to like... to workers happy. I, yeah. I think Cheap you, you labor. Can, you can make some cash at it, but it's... Really, what you need is you need to keep attracting men to do the labor. Yeah. So that's what they're setting up is like Chinese workers will mm-hmm. come mm-hmm. if they're probably cheaper too than yeah than the white well, workers. I'm sure. Yeah. It's not like OSHA is getting. Well, I feel the way websites. the doc feels when he sees that cart full of women, just disgusted. Yeah. 
he's nauseous about it. I it was pretty incredible. Well, and I'm sure we won't get to meet a single one of those ladies. I'm sure not. Do better, Deadwood. Yeah, we're, that's that's not going to happen. They're not going to be treated as individuals. But speaking of, we do get some scenes with Wu that move things along in this episode. Al is taking his uh, meetings. He's wearing that horrible fucking suit again. He is sitting <laughs> propped up at his desk. It's very cute the way that Johnny and Dan are taking care of him, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Trixie's first. She tells him about the formation of the bank, which we haven't talked about yet and, mm-hmm. and should. Farnham comes in and basically spills his guts the way he always does about all the backhanded <laughs> dealings he's done without Al's consent. I do love his line. Well, I am a born follower. <laughs> <laughs> at least he knows himself, yeah. right? <laughs> And then we uh, start getting to the more meaty storylines, which is Isringhausen. Big reveal here. She tells her weird story to Al that basically Alma had told her that she killed her husband using Al as the instrument, which mm-hmm. obviously never happened. And I don't really know what she, how she thinks that's going to work. Like, is she just betting that that's the true story? <laughs> I don't understand her plan, really. I think, and it was confusing, what she wanted was for her to pay him $50,000 and have him agree that that was the way things worked so that Alma could be held What he says liable. about a signed confession and mm-hmm. then an escape. I'm sorry, but 50000 is low. I mean, to, to leave his to whole life for that? Yeah. It is low. It is low. I, I think I think the uh, Alma's family has underestimated how much Al can be bought for. And I, I'm assuming Alma's family wants the gold claim. They want the claim. They of want the claim. But we're still assuming that it even is Alma's family because Isringhausen is claiming that she doesn't or know. Or Brown's family, you mean. Brown's family. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. We are left to just assume that. We don't have If any. she claims she doesn't even know who actually backs the interests who hired her. So it could be Alma's dad. Oh, oh, that, that guy. guy. Oh, <laughs> fucking A. Because <laughs> he doesn't have as much money, right? As almost Hashtag has. that guy. <laughs> May we never have to see that guy again. I almost believe that. I, I, I'm fuzzy on the details of, mm-hmm. of Isringhausen's whole scheme uh, from 14 years ago. <laughs> I I almost believe it could be almost dad more than like, do you really think the people who raised that idiot Brom mm-hmm. are so like Oh, I think that he was devious. a great disappointment to his family. <laughs> as he was to us. <laughs> I think they were like, Oh, he's dead, but look at the gold we could get. If only we could lock up this, you know, scheming widow or whatever. Uh, um, I think that that's what it is. And Al also, like, if Isringhausen doesn't know Al's backstory with the Pinkertons, the fact that he brings up the Pinkertons, like, she should be aware that the man that she's trying to negotiate with isn't so so warm toward law enforcement. I think she's a little overconfident about her hand at this yes. point. Yeah. She's going to get fed to the pigs. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll just see her little frilly scarf. In the dirt, in the muck. And then last but not least, uh, very importantly, Wu finally gets in to see Al. And he's the one who's going to report in no English whatsoever a more full account of events, which is that this San Francisco cocksucker Mm -hmm. is working with Hearst, has brought in these prostitutes, and Al is like, I need to meet the guy. Which turns out to be the most direct way that Al has to finding out exactly what's going on around town. Because EB's not doing shit. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus. Johnny keeps telling him things well after the fact yeah, of him yeah. already figuring it out. So. Jo- Johnny, not so helpful. Also trying to do it in sign language sometimes. Johnny's hysterical. So, meanwhile, Alma has decided that she wants to start a bank. 
highly convenient since Saul and Seth already had the Wanted same to start a bank. <laughs> same idea separately yeah. two episodes ago. This is a little another one of these season two coinky dinks that keep happening. It a hundred percent is, but I'm also like I prefer it if it's Alma's idea instead of her getting convinced to participate because it gives her a little bit of like business savvy. Yeah. And a little bit of more more personal investment and more she's being proactive in this town where she's building her life. What I love about this episode too is just Seth being such a like a little butt boy about <laughs> how like Alma wants to do this meeting with Saul and Saul's not supposed to talk to Alma because Seth he's is so trying salty to, about it. He's so salty. And then meanwhile we have Trixie on the other hand being so thoughtful about everything that's going on with Alma, going so as far as to go to Ellsworth and be like, Would would you marry Alma because she wants to keep this baby? That conversation was hysterical. It was so funny. <laughs> Ellsworth had no idea what she was talking about for like, I don't know, four-fifths of that entire conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and it was only when she spelled it out for him that he was like, oh, would she do that? Huh? I feel like it's so cute. <laughs> it, it is so cute. And this is a scene that has that really has stuck with me over the years because as I was watching, I was like, waiting for that last line and I just love Jim Beaver's delivery of it when it finally all clicks all of a sudden it's not silly for a moment and he's like would she fucking have me and I was like it's just like it's so cute it is so cute but it's all I don't know it's just like the, the there's so much emotion packed into that like his station as a man and yeah and what he might think of his own worth and the way that he might feel about her. I just love that scene. I think love he brought that line. more to the line than existed on its own. Like, yeah. if I... It, yeah, I'm crediting the performance. I had written yeah. it, it wouldn't have... You know, like, it's really what the actor, how they interpret it and deliver it, that you're right, It it's really remarkable. And I... Kudos to Trixie for essentially being like so aware of the situation that she's trying to find a solution before everything comes to head because the things that she's worried about are like Seth's wife, Seth's little boy. Like how are they going to feel if She like, really cares about other people. Yeah, why, she really but does. why why is she so worried about them in particular who she's never even interacted with and it, she obviously has no love lost for Seth. She fucking hates Seth. True. Yeah. She's fond of Alma since she got her off the laudanum, mm-hmm. and they have a contentious relationship, but, like, she really invested in her as a person when she helped her kick that habit. Yeah. And I think that, in part, it must be that, you know, Trixie's station in life has risen mm-hmm. uh, since these people have been in her life, and she doesn't want to shake the boat. She doesn't want bad things to happen to them, because her life has gotten better by having them in her life. Hmm. That could be it. And it could also just be her separating Seth from his family. It could just be her sort of seeing how reckless Seth is with, because like, I think initially when what she really disliked about Seth was his recklessness, and then this the second piece, which is getting Alma pregnant, is just a, another like unfurling of that same decision, not thinking mm. about the future mm. and not thinking about how it would affect the people around mm. around them. I also think of. Trixie is like the ultimate pro-choice like emblem of this show because she really is leaving it up to Alma. She's like, if you want to get rid of the baby, I'll help you get rid of the baby. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't, I will fix your life in every which way to try to make this as possible for you as possible. I don't know if it's a hundred percent in character, but it doesn't. It I didn't stumble on it. I didn't. I liked it because uh, truly, Ellsworth is probably the only viable candidate. He's a really weird choice. I mean. 
we don't get the sense that he is Randy for Alma, do we? Do, do you guys? No, no. It's not in the sense that he likes her, but in yeah. the sense that he's around her so much and there's yeah. a pre-existing relationship. It's practical. It's practical. And Trixie sees him as a decent sort who would take care of another man's baby, which how many people can you say that in Well, Deadwood? she's reading it exactly right. She's yeah. a very good judge of character in all of this. But I also am like, ugh. Uh, you could, I could see him thinking this through and being like, is this the last chance he would have for a wife and a family as yeah. well? Mm-hmm. I mean, Maybe. obviously he's extremely fond of Sophia as well. That's a great um, point, Brandy. It's an unconventional modern family. <laughs> well, well, we'll see what Alma thinks of the idea. But I mean, Alma's not going to like it. I can't imagine her being like receptive. She, to she's probably like, rich enough to get away with just having the baby, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you mm-hmm. think? I don't know. I don't know if you can be rich enough. Like, I feel like women were scrutinized so severely. Yeah. Especially, like, in her social circles. Although I know she's in Deadwood at the moment. But, like... If she ever wants to show her face in New York again, you mean? Yeah. Although I don't get the sense she does. But at the same time, I think Ellsworth is a really good choice for her. Only because she is a loaded woman now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how can you know somebody's intentions? Right. I mean... She's going to have to be wary of every other man who comes near her for the rest of her life so long as she has this money. Yeah. Really, Team Ellsworth. I think the last major thing we need to talk about here is, okay, so when Seth gets all pissy with Saul, he decides to take his rage out by going over to Tom Nuttall's place, telling Steve, the guy who instigated the lynch mob in the previous episode, never to do anything like that again and punching him in the face, basically. A typical healthy Seth choice. Yeah, sure, Seth. (laughs) That's what justice looks like. After he leaves, the gents who are sitting around at Nuttall's place start talking about what kind of revenge Steve could take against Seth. And somehow landed on the idea of fucking his horse. Which... What? What is the male mind? <laughs> they all kept bringing it up to the point where I was like, you do want to fuck his horse. I can tell that you just say it as if it would be unpleasant, but in fact, you're into it. Right. What a pretty pony. <laughs> what a pretty pony. So he goes over there and he ends up just masturbating on the horse's leg, but Hostetler catches him, hits him, knocks him out for a minute, I think, mm-hmm. ties him up. Mm-hmm. And basically, Fields has to come in and be like, you can't kill this white man. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and come up with the bizarre plan to get Hostetler out of this mess. Why was Hostetler going to kill him in the first place? Because he... I guess was... at that point, it's like, if you let him go, now you're a black man who attacked a white man, and the whole mob is going to come back for you again? Oh. I guess. Or maybe he just really didn't like the guy because he says, like, you need to die. And I'm like, that seems hard. He just jacked off on the horse, dude. <laughs> I mean, I do not like this guy, but. I think Hostetter doesn't believe that he just jacked off on the horse. I think Hostetter believes that he fucked the horse. And in maybe because he's a man that takes care of animals, that's just like an unforgivable thing for him. Yeah, but he well, did maybe. see him. He did not rape the horse. Oh, God. I can't believe this is a storyline. <laughs> so they make him sign a false confession that he did fuck the horse, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> Even though he insists he did Very didn't. twisted. And say if he ever tells anybody what happened or comes after them again, they'll, they have this signed confession. So I don't know what the point of this is other than to just, like, give Hostetler and General Fields another little, like, scene together. <laughs> and they seem to bond. Yeah. <laughs> 
Whereas in the last episode, they didn't really seem to like each other very much. God, it's almost know. like Deadwood doesn't know how to incorporate its characters of <laughs> color into the other <laughs> plots that are actually uh, happening in the town. I was surprised to see them again one episode later, honestly. To me, I didn't expect them to be continued to be incorporated as things went along. Yeah. I guess maybe if I'm thinking about motivations, maybe Hostetter is really pissed off that, like, uh, Steve initiated the lynching. Maybe this is, like, some sort of, not quite revenge, but... I mean, he should be pissed off about right. those things, but the conversation doesn't really seem to... Right. This seems to be only about the matter at hand. Are you, are you talking about the tarring from the mm-hmm. previous yeah, episode? Yeah, because Steve, Steve was the one who held the tar brush. Yes. I mean, Steve definitely had some some of this coming to yeah. him. Steve, Steve got it easy. I don't know about murder. They should have tarred Steve. That would have been That would have been the proper him. revenge, yes. A, a tar, tar for a tar. A tar for a tar, for sure. Maybe they should have tarred his willy. Oh, God. I can't Lorraine and Bob it over here. Jesus. <laughs> that would have kept Doc Cochran very busy. <laughs> I just can't even picture the poor dog reacting to such a thing. Like, what on God's fucking green earth is this? <laughs> All right, maybe that was good. Maybe that's too mean. Oh, and the very last thing is that there's also now a teacher in town. We meet this nice lady, Miss Mary Stokes. Merrick seems very into having a teacher in town. I was like, is this, does he see it as like potential partner for himself? She seems charmed by him as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. they seem like they could be a very happy couple. But then, of course, uh, Leon and Constapleton on size direction have trashed Merrick's place. And apparently this causes quite a fright. What was the the point of that one? I didn't get that. There. It was like, what was the, because Merrick didn't print the report? Jari's from, already gone. What, yeah, yeah, Jari's left. What a side care. And now you can't even use him to your devices anyway because mm-hmm. he destroyed all of his fucking equipment. Yeah, it made zero sense, that one. Uh, next week on Poking Holes in Dead Men. <laughs> <laughs> we actually really like this show. We just. I think we spent a lot of time talking about plot weird things in the last couple episodes, but like. Overall, there it's like the individual scenes are all great, but then you take a step back and you're like, why does this fit together? Yeah. And then let's talk about that last scene where Al finds finally makes it out onto his Panopticon um, balcony. He like supports himself and then he makes eye contact with Joni. And is it true that Joni and Al have really not had that much contact since their first meeting, right? I don't think so. And that was a moment where Joni looked up at Al. Almost zero, right? Just when the Bella Union started, I think she might have talked to Al, maybe maybe in that episode. Um, but it made me think, is Joni going to switch sides? Is she going to abandon Sai and go to Al? Well, she, she needs, needs someone. She needs a person. I know yeah. who she needs, and they need to get to it all. All right, ready. calm it. Don't spoil. <laughs> don't spoil anything for Sita. But my interpretation of that moment was basically that you know Al has taken his place on his balcony again. Obviously, that's very yes. symbolic. Yes. But she kind of represents in that moment the utter chaos that has mm. happened while he was out of commission. Yeah. And. Things have changed in a way that he's not going to be able to, like, put the cork back on that bottle. It feels good to have Al back at full strength. It's weird how I have come to love him after really disliking him at the top of the show. Season one, episode one, I'm like, oh, he is clearly the antagonist. He isn't really at all anymore. I mean, look at Mr. W, right? I mean, they keep presenting worse and worse human beings, yes. (laughs) 
for us to hate 100 percent. so it's funny how much we like dan when he slits throats too because <laughs> he it's slits the throat it's other men it's other men also he, he cares about girls he yeah. protects women yeah and this guy opposite of that opposite yeah. for sure he's definitely killing the most vulnerable people yeah. um i thought an excellent line in this episode i, I don't have the exact quote but when Bullock is, like, picking a fight with Saul and he's like, you really want to hit me? Because then uh, if we are fighting, I'm going to have to, like, go and recover and you're going to be alone. And I'm yeah, like, he, he knows he would lose. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'll fight you. You'll win. <laughs> Both of us will lose. <laughs> your, your logic is perfect. And then <laughs> there's that scene where Saul tells uh, Seth that. Alma is pregnant, and then Seth just mules about it at dinner. Just like, God damn it, Seth. It's weird yeah. to be at home with Seth. Poor Martha. She's met the school teacher. She's obviously so excited about the prospect of actually being able to socialize with someone who's mm-hmm. like an appropriate person for her in Deadwood. And Seth's just like, uh huh, uh huh. Because he's thinking about his girlfriend. You're over Saul. Are you over Seth? I'm kind of over Seth now. I mean, I still think Timothy Oliphant is really sexy, but... He's, he's fine, but this character is not doing it for me. In, the, in these few episodes, he's just kind of throwing a fit all the time. Yeah. Know? I think he needs something bigger to do. He needs something he's, meaningful where he can reassert his, his humanity. Yeah, well, we'll see whether, you know, this sort of renewed alliance with Al is going to provide any of that. Mm. So far, the most decent man, again, I know I'm team Ellsworth, is Ellsworth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nobody's arguing... <laughs> There are good men in this town. Ellsworth, the doc, I think, falls into mm-hmm. that category. Charlie Charlie. Charlie's a wonderful guy. Very useful to Joni, who mm-hmm. he had only a passing real friendship. Well, they mm-hmm. eat together. Who knows what happened during those five months, three days. Um, <laughs> but, but a deep friendship. He helps her smuggle these women out of town. Yeah. At great risk to himself. Yeah. So. Where are they going to go? Anywhere. 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 God. They have fourteen hundred bucks. They're not. They're not poor. That's true. Between the three of them. But Joni just should have left. Yeah, I Joni wanted her should on that have one. left. Of course. Yeah. Well, that was an eventful two episodes. It mm-hmm. was kind of like part one, part one part or two. two. I agree. Hopefully, we move into new directions in the next steps. I'm feeling like I would like to get away from the crushing kind of Walcott grip on everything. Yeah, as good as his performance is, it's it's an awful lot of the psycho activity. If you wanted to make Garrett Dillahunt despicable, you've done it, Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So find us next week. Until then, we're on Twitter at Ladywoodcast. I'm at Lynn Sternberger. I'm at WeeBrandy, O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. And I am at Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. That boy is a